Anyway, back to our perspectives of Christmas series. So the last two weeks, just to recap real quickly, uh, if you do not have notes, we do have some notes printed out. Uh, are they some on the back, ta- back table? Yes, some over there. If you want to grab them, you can get up. That's fine. Um, but also they're in your phones with the church app as well. So recapping, first week we talked about the shepherds and how the shepherds were outcasts in society. They were not allowed to live in the city because they were known as thieves. And so when the angels show up to announce Jesus's birth, uh, he announces it to the shepherds, which is astounding because it says that Jesus has made himself available to all people. Then beyond that, Jesus is born and placed in a manger. Jesus isn't born in the inn. He's born and placed in a manger in a stable where shepherds would be willing to go visit. And we talked about how Jesus not only made himself available, but he made himself accessible to the shepherds. And so our perspective on Christmas should be the same. Jesus has made himself available and accessible to all people. Then last week we talked about Joseph and we talked about how our obe- his obedience led to his purpose. That the angel came and said, hey, you're going to take Mary home as your wife. You're going to throw culture out the window. You're going to throw your shame out the window and you're going to take her home as your wife. And he did. You're going to name the baby Jesus. And he did. You're going to flee to Egypt. And he did. You're going to return to Nazareth. And he did. <laughs> Joseph was obedient and it ultimately led to many prophecies being fulfilled through his obedience. And then this morning, because I I knew that there were some women in the crowd who were like, you're talking about Joseph, Shane. What about Mary? Well, today we're talking about Mary. Now, when we're talking about Mary, there's a lot of different things that I could talk about in the perspective that she had on Christmas. I mean, (laughs) she's pregnant. She's going to have a baby. She's been told that this baby is the Messiah. I mean, this is overwhelming perspective. There are so many sides to it. And if you've ever been in an overwhelming situation, you know that your emotions are probably a roller coaster, right? I mean, there are some moments where you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And then like the next day, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not going to make it. Uh, I remember when uh, Julie found out that we were pregnant with Caleb and it was immediate tears of sadness. Why is this happening? And then like a week later, it's like, yes, this is exciting. And then a week later, This is a roller coaster, and I'm sure Mary was the same way. And so today what I want to do is I just want to focus on one specific part of Mary's perspective on what made Christmas, that first Christmas, so special. So before I jump into it, I'm going to give you some background real quick. Um, So prior to the passage where we're going to be today in Luke chapter 1, we find a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth who have been told by uh, the angel Gabriel that they're going to have a son uh, whose name is going to be John. He's going to be John the Baptist. And so that is the coming before our passage today, which is why when we get to verse 26, you understand why it says in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Okay, so that's we have those two things together. So Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 26. Let's go. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pleaded, I'm sorry, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, the first thing I want to do today before I move forward is tell you that Luke was a very intelligent man. Luke was 
a doctor. So Luke, when he's writing his books, which Luke wrote two books, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, uh, Luke spent a lot of time and was meticulous on how he gathered his information. Uh, Luke was a historical writer who took personal testimony and accounts of stories in order to get the most accurate depiction of what took place. That's what Luke does. And so when Luke writes, he emphasizes something that's just like, dude, what are you doing? This feels a little weird. Uh, But he says, uh, pledged to be married to a a virgin, pledged to be married. And then later he comes back and says, the virgin's name was Mary. So in this sentence and in these verses here, Luke is emphasizing Mary's virginity. And the reason why he's doing this is because it would have been astounding and shocking to himself. As a doctor, he knows how babies are made. And in fact, as we get further in the passage, you'll find Mary knows how babies get made as well. And so Luke, the doctor, writing in the book of Luke, says, hey, there's a virgin, she's pledged to be married, and the virgin's name is Mary. Because he wants people to understand the significance of this conception and of this birth. It's not a natural situation. It is supernatural. It's beyond what you would normally think to be true. Now, tradition holds in the church, and this, this, is, this is very much a tradition that's held, is that Luke personally interviewed Mary. That's a big deal. Now, I can't, I can't be like, yeah, I know for sure I saw this happen. But tradition holds, and the way history was recorded back, it was word of mouth for an extended period of time. And so tradition via word of mouth, and at some point it obviously got written down because tradition holds that he interviewed her. Can you imagine Mary telling this story? And how she would probably have to be like, look, Luke, I know you're not going to believe me, but you have to understand that this was a very real thing. And for us today, we look at it and we go, this doesn't, this doesn't sound real. But I, I, I go back to this. If you can believe in creation, you can believe in the virgin birth. If you can believe in creation, you can believe in the virgin birth. And a few weeks ago, when we were in our series on apologetics on why we can believe that creation actually took place, I assure you, the virgin birth is a very real possibility because we serve a creating God. A God who created out of nothing. So if God wants to place the baby, a baby in the womb of a woman supernaturally, he can do that because he is a creator. Not like, well, I'm I'm not going to get into that. That was a whole other situation. There are religions out there who say that sex took place in order for this kind of birth to take place between a God and a human. That is not what took place. This is a creator placing a baby in a womb. Okay. I read all that. Where am I here? Okay. Jumping all over the place. All right. The angel says what? The angel says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. In verse 29, we come to Mary's response. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now understand, it doesn't say that Mary was terrified, which when you read through the Bible over and over again, we just did this a few weeks ago, the shepherds were terrified. 
Mary was not terrified at the presence of the angel. She was confused about the words the angel was speaking. So you can already tell that Mary has this unique perspective on the supernatural to begin with. Because something supernatural is taking place in her life, and she's willing to accept it, but she's confused on how to receive it. Does that make sense? All right, let's jump forward. So she's troubled at the words, verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Again, the angel knows that she's confused about and afraid of the words that he's speaking. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So Mary's, Mary's told about Jesus. She's going to give birth to the Son of the Most High, which as a, as a Jew, she would know, I'm giving birth to the Son of God, <laughs> the, the Messiah. His name's going to be Jesus. And, and now, here's something I love about God. He tells through the angel, through the angels, I should say, he tells Mary, the boy's name is going to be Jesus. And he tells Joseph, the boy's name is going to be Jesus. This is a very big deal. Why? Because this couple has already gone through enough. They're going to walk through a bunch of problems through this pregnancy. They're going to face shame. They're going to face uh, just lots of different things because of culture. And what God does is he says, hey, listen, I know that you're going to face a lot of different things, so I want you to both know that this boy's name is going to be Jesus. There's going to be no qualms between the two of you over what the name of this child is going to be. You know, I think about in my marriage a lot of times when Pastor Julie and I have disagreements. Shocking, I know. (laughs) We just have this perfect marriage. We never disagree on anything. Um, But when it happens... Uh, when it happens all too often, what we will choose to do is we will just take a step back, and it's normal, I'm not going to lie, she's a little more hot-headed, and she'll admit to this. I will regularly take a step back and say, hey, we need some time, and allow God to speak into this. Because what we have to understand is that God desires peace. He desires unity in your marriage. He desires you to grow together. And so when we're, when we're disagreeing heavily over something that actually matters, which that doesn't actually happen that often. We normally argue over stupid stuff. Uh, but when you're arguing over something that matters, uh, we'll say, hey, let's take a step back and let's ask God to bring unity to this. And that's one of the things that we pull from this passage that it makes a big deal for us. We're not just, for those of you who are married, you do not just walk through your marriage alone, but God desires your marriage to be strong and healthy, and he wants you to be in unity together. He does. Okay. So all of these things are happening, and then this is what Mary says in verse 34. How will this be, Mary asks the angel, since I am a virgin? Now again, Mary knows how babies are made. She knows. How will this be since I am a virgin? But notice the question. Mary specifically says, how will this be? Not, (laughs) she doesn't respond with a, if it could happen. She responds with a, how is this going to happen? How is this possible since the only way I know that this is possible has not happened 
What are you talking about? How is this going to possibly take place? Mary doesn't question the information that is being given. Instead, she's questioning the way in which the information is going to be played out in her life. Now, there's a big difference there. Because if you've ever come to any situation in life that was confusing to you, you have probably at some point questioned the information itself. And you said, you know, I just don't actually think that this is going to be possible. If you've ever walked through a dark time in your life, a troubling time in your life, you've probably thought at some point, I don't know how I'm ever going to get out of this. And the thought on, I don't know how I'm ever going to be out of this, is filled with doubt of if you're ever actually going to get out. Mary's not asking that question. Mary's asking the question, how am I going to get out of this? How is this going to happen? Because I don't see how it's going to. But in Mary's question, again, we read in English. We don't read in what this was actually written in in Greek. Mary's question is actually, how is this going to happen? I don't understand how it's possible. But I trust you. I trust your word. I trust what you're saying to me. And that is a very big deal. The, whole, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. So notice the angel also gives Mary a sign. He says, hey, a sign for you to understand that this is possible is that your relative, Elizabeth, who is, <laughs> the way I phrase this in our churches, who is very mature, <laughs> who is beyond childbearing years, um, and her, her husband is beyond childbearing years, they, they are very mature. I mean, they, they are, they're old. They're very old, <laughs> and they're not able to have kids anymore. But instead of that not being a possibility, Elizabeth is pregnant, and she's in her sixth month of pregnancy. So Mary doesn't ask for a sign. She just says, how? I don't know how this is going to happen. So the angel does her one better. He says, listen, this is how it's going to happen. And beyond that, here's a sign to show you that it's possible. I mean, this is powerful, powerful stuff. But the one thing that we don't pull from this passage unless we get the passage before is to understand the contrast and how Mary's perspective is so different in receiving this information. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back. So this is not going to be on the screen, but this is Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 6. And what we're going to read is where Zechariah is told about what will happen to his wife Elizabeth and her pregnancy. It's about the difference. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. This is Zechariah and Elizabeth. Observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very mature. It doesn't say that. It says they were old. That's what it says. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, so Zechariah, he's, 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 a, he's a priest. He works in the temple. Uh, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So you got to understand something, by the way. I'm going to pause here. So Zechariah was doing something that not every priest would actually get to do in their life. This is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So his, his crew, his division was on duty large crew, 
not always gonna, you're not always going to be on duty. It was always rotating. So his crew's on duty. And then lots were cast, and his name showed up and chosen. So this is a very rare situation for Zechariah to go in and burn incense in the temple. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the rites of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he, saw, he was startled and gripped with fear. Already you have a contrast. He saw him and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? So Mary didn't ask for a sign and got one. Zechariah asks for a sign. I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. So he not only asks for a sign, but he also gives reason for why it's not going to happen. Understand, again, Mary didn't ask for a sign and just says, hey, I trust you, I believe this information, but I don't understand how it's possible. Zachariah says, hey, um, how is this going to happen? This isn't possible because of what has you, you basically Zachariah is saying, you waited too long. You're 20 years too late. John, John, no, that ain't happening. But the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. This is the exact same angel. This is the exact same angel who appears to Mary in just a few short verses. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. So understand, he's just going in to burn incense and get out of there. But instead, Zechariah is having an encounter with an angel, and he's stuck in there. And people are like, wait, what is happening? Why is Zechariah still in the temple? Meanwhile, they're waiting for him, wondering why he's in there. He comes out. He could not speak to them. He said, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Your mouth's going to stay shut while your wife is pregnant. <laughs> you want to talk about a punishment? <laughs> Not for her. This is, I mean, let's be real. We talked about this last week, right? All right. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple. For he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Notice the difference between Mary and Zechariah and their response to the exact same angel. The exact same angel. Such contrasting differences in how they respond to the news. Mary questioned how it would happen, but in Zed, Zechariah 
was asking if it could happen. I'm going to say it one more time. Mary was asking how it would happen. Zechariah asked if it could happen. Mary believed, though she couldn't comprehend how it would. Church, if there is a perspective that you need for Mary in this life, is that you need to understand that you may not always even see a possibility of a how, but instead to trust anyway. My God makes ways where there are no ways. He splits the seas. He stops the river. He makes ways where there are no ways. So your mind that is unable to comprehend how God could make a way out of your debt, how God could restore what is broken, how God could redeem what was lost, I assure you my God is capable of doing all that you can't imagine. We got a lot of pastors talking about how God's able to do all you can imagine. No, he's able to do beyond what you can. He's not limited by your thoughts. He's not limited by your abilities. We're called to trust him like Mary. One of the things we also pull, if you remember last week with Joseph, Joseph was told what to do. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Mary is told a little bit of what she's going to do, but even more so, Mary is told what is going to happen. You notice the difference? I listen. I would much rather be told what to do and let myself make my own decision. It sounds ridiculous, but I want to have control over my life. I have a control problem. Anybody else have a control problem? Yeah. That is, that is, most of us in life have control problems. And if you think you don't have a control problem, I assure you there is something in your life that you need control over. This morning, I, my life is out of control. I told you about Micah. My second car's car battery died today. We've got a lot of different things going on in my life that I just like, why? But see, I, <laughs> I can't be told what to do all the time. But what the angel does with Mary is he says, hey, this is what's going to happen. And Mary's response is the key for her perspective on Christmas, in my personal opinion. She says, I am, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I'm going to read one more time. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. The perspective that I want to highlight from Mary in regards to that first Christmas is Mary was willing. Mary was willing. And we hear that word and we go, this, is, this doesn't seem that powerful. You see, Mary was willing to be used by God in light of anything else that the world was going to throw at her. Last week, we talked about Joseph's shame. You want to talk about Mary's shame? Young teenage girl, pledged to be married, supposed to be focusing on her purity, turns up pregnant. You want to talk about shame from the community? Listen, then we, talk, we talked last week about how Joseph was, was going to do the right thing that he could do to honor God, and, 
and still be loving to her, and he was going to divorce her quietly, so only four people, including he and Mary and two other witnesses, were going to be the only four who would know about her pregnancy, and he was going to divorce her quietly? You want to talk about shame? You want to talk about the fact that her dad had every right, if she turned up pregnant, to kick her out of his house and say, no, you didn't do what you were supposed to do, and I'm not going to let you uh, live in my house anymore? You want to talk about some consequences that Mary was willing to accept to live out what God was placing in her life. Church, the call to willingness is a troubling one. The call to willingness is a difficult one. But the call to willingness leads to a savior. You see, the call to willingness leads to peace. The call to willingness for sure lends itself towards heartbreak and pain, but it also leads towards redemption and joy and an overwhelming sense of his presence upon your life. Mary was willing to do what God wanted her to do. Willingness means willing to endure difficulty. Willingness means willing to allow something to happen, not just doing something you are told. You catch the, like, the passivity of it, of like, Mary said, God, I am yours. I am your servant. Whatever you desire for me, I'm willing. Joseph, Joseph says, God, I am yours. I will do whatever you ask me to do. Mary says, God, I am yours. I will allow whatever you want to have happen in my life. You want to talk about a couple who was favored by God, but their outlook on life and their faithfulness to God is on full display that first Christmas. I don't know many people who would do this. I'm just not going to lie. I don't know many people who would be willing to sacrifice everything that they know because that's, that is the key. Joseph didn't know about Mary. Mary didn't know about Joseph. But they both personally said, before they had their conversations of, okay, now we understand. I'm willing, and I'm obedient. Worship team, can you come this morning? Today, we're called to be like Mary. You know, I, I, think, I think back to times in my life where uh, I used to joke before I was a full-time pastor preaching every Sunday or Wednesday or Thursday because I preached a lot of different weekly things with um, being a youth pastor. Early on in ministry when I was leading worship, uh, I would preach maybe once every two or three months. And whenever I went to preach a message, I would write the message, and I don't know why, but it was really annoying. God would have me live out my message leading up to that Sunday. And, and like this morning, 
So I normally come to the church at 7, and I'm, I just I get things pulled up, set up. It doesn't take me long, and then I get to spend about an hour just praying, praying for you, praying for our services, that God would move powerfully. I didn't get to do that today <laughs> before people started showing up because of the chaos in my home. So set everything up, and I, I, said, I told everybody, look, I'm going upstairs. I'm going to be alone for a while. So if you saw me walking around before service, I even had headphones in because I was just checked out to the world. And that's not to be rude. That's just because I knew that I needed my focus where it needed to be. And I, as I was praying, I was honestly praying out of frustration. Because the last few weeks have been just not fun. They haven't been. They're just non, non-stop issues. Every time I turn a corner and I feel like I, I'm going to have a moment to catch my breath, something else gets dropped on the pile. I, I think I'm doing well. And then I get a phone call and it's just like, okay, here's another thing and another. And then I go to bed last night and I'm like, I'm telling you, I just, I, I don't know why, but I was like, I know Micah's going to have to go tomorrow morning. I just know it. You know, my, I, I look at Pastor Julie, and for those you know, Pastor Julie didn't have her asthma meds for like two weeks. And then she had another health problem. And, that, and it just, again, and so when you have a spouse who's under, what do you do? You take on more. And you know, you, you guys have been amazing because you've maintained everything and you, I don't do as anywhere near as much as I used to, and I'm so thankful for that. But as I was praying, God spoke to me and he said, okay, Jonathan, you're talking about willingness. Do you trust me? Are you willing to say, my life is yours? And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm tired. I'm tired. going to talk personally here. You know, we we went through some rough times here as a church in my first three years. And then things are like we turn, we get a solid foundation, and we start to see some growth, and then COVID hits. And now it just seems like another variant after another variant after another variant, and I'm just, I just want to punch things. I'm not going to lie to you. Not people, just things. And whenever I get this overwhelming feeling, God reveals and says things to me like this. Jonathan, I understand and I know. I've been there. But the path you are on has great purpose. So continue to trust me in your trial. I said, okay, God, I'm willing. I'm willing to put up with the mess. I'm willing to put up with the circumstances because I trust you more than myself. This morning, I don't know where you stand. We're going to sing a song. It's actually a new song. But 
but I, just, I want us to take some inventory of our heart and our mind today. Where are you in regards to God? Are you saying, are, are you at this point where you're like, hey, I'm willing to walk out in obedience? Are you, are you maybe today for the first time you say, you know, I'm just will, I'm willing today to say I'm willing to walk with him. I, I want to understand that purpose. And you say today I'm going to I'm going to begin to step into what God is calling me to. Maybe that's you. Maybe again, you're that person who says today I'm stepping into obedience to God. But maybe today your call is to step into willingness to say, God, I trust you above everything and I'm willing to endure whatever you have me to endure, knowing that you are my strength that you are my peace, that you are my joy. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds this morning. God, that you would reveal to us what it is that you are doing. God, it may not be an understanding completely of how or why, but it would be an understanding of trust, that your plans are greater, that your purposes are greater. As your word declares, God, your ways and your purposes and your plans are higher than our ways. So Jesus, this morning as we sing and as we reflect, God, would you reveal yourself to us. That we would be willing, that we would be obedient. In the name of Jesus, I pray.